0: Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Silas Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Denise E. Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Bishop Sharma Lewis. Discerning your call. This was recorded on October 19th, 2021. You are, we are blessed today. Oh my goodness, that um, we have a guest with us today that I'm so very excited about. Um, it is Bishop Sharma Lewis. Um, she is resident bishop um, in the Richmond area of the United Methodist Church of the Virginia Annual Conference. Um, and we are blessed. Um, prior to her Episcopal assignment, She held a distinguished record of service in the North Georgia Conference, including her appointment as district superintendent of the Atlanta Decatur Oxford District in 2010. In 2007, um, her pastoral leadership at Wesley Chapel, a three-year tenure, listen to this, led to over 600 new and restored members, and worship Mm. attendance doubled. While there, her visibility as a strong spiritual and pastoral leader Propelled her into numerous leadership roles in the local community, including Hands On Henry, hands on Henry County and Many Hearts, Many um, Hands in McDonough. And her ministry here culminated as she received the Harry Dent Denham Award for Evangelism in 2010, as well as the G. Ross Freeman Leadership Award. Prior to these roles, um, Bishop Lewis was appointed in 1999 as the Associate and subsequently the senior associate pastor of the 8,000-member Ben Hill United Methodist Church in Atlanta and a senior pastor of the Powers Ferry United Methodist Church, a cross-racial assignment in Marietta, Georgia. She has offered her gifts to the United Methodist Church in a variety of ways, including a board member of the Wesley Woods Foundation, the SEG Committee on the Episcopacy, the uh, Cabinet Representative for United Methodist Women, and the Committee for Equitable Compensation. I like that word, y'all. We have to talk about that equitable compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, She is currently a board member and vice chair of the Standing Committee on Evangelism for the World Methodist Council of the United Methodist Church, a member of the Black Clergy Women and Black Methodist for Church Renewal of the United Methodist Church. Bishop Lewis has also been appointed as liaison to the Interagency Sexual Ethics Task Force a board of governors for Wesley Theological Seminary and ex officio of the six United Methodist Colleges in the Virginia Conference. She's also a member of the Southeastern Jurisdiction Committee on Coordination and Accountability and a member of the Study Commission of Ministry. The North Georgia Conference honored Bishop Lewis by electing her as the first African-American female to lead the delegation to the 2012 general and jurisdictional conferences. In 2015, she was once again voted to lead the delegation to the the 2016 general and jurisdictional conference, which is where she was elevated to the office of Bishop. Bishop Lewis was born and raised in Statesboro, Georgia in a loving Methodist family where individuals have answered God's call to serve the church and to minister to God's people. A graduate of Mercer University, a BS in biology, the University of West Georgia, a MS in biology. I need you all to hear this. And Gammon Theological Seminary at the ITC in Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia, which is Masters of Divinity. Um, Bishop Lewis worked as a research biologist and chemist prior to surrendering to God's call upon her life. She has led mission experiences to Jamaica, Kenya and the Philippines. Bishop Lewis, <coughs> um, don't say, let me, let say, me, let me let finish it. this. You don't have to Bishop, say it, no. uh, Bishop Lewis is, is, a, is a member of the Atlantic <laughs> <laughs> of Delta, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. Um, she's received the Delta Sigma Theta Pinnacle and Torch Award. She's a recipient of the 2014 Gamma Theological Seminary Distinguished Alumni and Trailblazer Award given by the National Coalition of 100 Black um, Women Incorporated of me- Atlanta, um, a Metropolitan of the Atlanta chapter. You all, will you please um, welcome uh, to us uh, Bishop Sharma Lewis. And before she speaks, I want you all to know um, that Dr. Bradford did not have on that outfit. Okay, I just need y'all to, Bishop, to understand Bishop, that.
1: Bishop, Bishop, Bishop,
0: Bishop. <laughs> okay, I just need go, y'all to there, there you go. And then she went and changed to put on on, on on that, okay. But you all, will yeah, you all please, you know. uh, family, give our Bishop Lewis a very um, warm um, welcome to being with us on today.
2: Amen.
0: <laughs> Bishop Lewis, i uh, <laughs> like to open with um, asking um, you, um, how have you been? Um, we've been in this pandemic now for a while. Um, what has it been like, how you been in these COVID streets?
2: Well, Dr. Burns, well, first of all, what I, I, I wanna say before I even answer any questions is that uh, I would just like to thank all of you sisters and everybody that's that's live today for this opportunity to um, to share and have a conversation and to, to provide what I think is very powerful, your theme, Timely wisdom. Um, I like that because I like to. Uh, I live by James one five. If you ever uh, lack wisdom, you can ask that of God, and God will oh, give it to you liberally yes, without reproach. Yes, so your yes. your theme is. Uh, I would say wisdom is dear to my heart. The question is, how am I doing? Um, COVID, as we know, has pulled us in all type of directions. And I think any of you all that's uh, here this, this, this afternoon and even online will say that uh, COVID has pulled out, I would say the good, bad, ugly, and the indifferent in all of us. Mm. I believe that I have seen, unfortunately, as trying to lead an annual conference through a whole COVID, you know, because we are a country that we have bill of rights, I like to say that I have seen, unfortunately, what I call willful disobedience with people and trying to lead them through the COVID. Um, but this is my right, and I don't want to wear a mask, I don't want to social distance. So what I'm trying to say is that it, it has been, I'm not, you know, being very candid, it's been tough. You know, it's been tough to be a leader. Um, it's, it's been tough to be an Episcopal leader. It's been tough trying to keep people safe. Mm. Um, But what I have done or what has happened in this whole COVID experience, I can honestly say that my prayer life has gone to a whole nother level. Um, Being able to collaborate with other leaders, other women, other folks in different professions um, have gone to a whole nother level. like I said, I've, I've done more praying, I think, in this last year and a half. And then I would even say to you, um, even more reflecting. Uh, reflecting on leadership. Reflecting on the church. Reflecting on people. Uh, I've been very blessed. I have not had COVID. None of my family, immediate family has had COVID. But the unfortunate thing is that um, my prayer partner just recently, Had COVID and almost died. Uh She was unable to be vaccinated because underlying conditions of blood clots. I've had clergy in this annual conference to die from COVID. I've had friends um, and even sorority sisters to die from COVID. So it takes you into just a whole nother feel of uh, the seriousness of this pandemic. And I don't even think that people, you know, being honest is um when this happened a year and a half almost ago, I think we all thought this was gonna be three, four months. Mm-hmm, but now mm-hmm. we're talking a year and a half, almost two years. And so I think through this pandemic, we've all have been stretched. I tell people that what we don't, what we can't forget when we're dealing with people is that we have COVID, but we still had life. What I mean by that, we had COVID, And people still had marriages that could have been on the rocks. We had COVID. We still had people sick. We had COVID. We had issues within the government. So it has made it very hard and very difficult. But I will tell you, if it was not for God, and I'm not
0: trying Mm. to preach,
2: (laughs) I would literally say, but God. If it wasn't for God, I'm being very honest with you. I don't think I would have made it as a leader. Because when everybody was saying, no, Bishop, no, Bishop, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. I had to stand not only on my biology science background, but I also had to stand and take a risk when folks were saying, I don't want to do this. I kept saying to them in this conference, there are two things that y'all got to remember. I want to keep you safe, number one, and informed. So we work worked really hard here in the Virginia Conference. Uh, but I will say, um, I'm good. I will be glad when it's really over. But I say this: Will we ever? Will we really ever be over COVID?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one.
2: And then yeah. I would even say this: I think that through the COVID experience, we learned some valuable things of how important it is for family, um, friends. My mother passed during COVID. She did not have COVID, but um, and we were able to bring her home. My mother, unfortunately, fell, 90 years old, and fractured her back. And we were trying to get her in an assisted living, and that didn't work out. And God had it was for us to bring her home, and we were with her for a month before she passed. But even that happened during COVID. So when I say about there was COVID and then there was still life, And so that was very difficult for people to deal with COVID and to deal with life. So I think we've all been stretched, but we've also realized the importance, family, friends, things we took for granted, getting our hair done, getting our nails done, going out to dinner. I think we also realized just the importance of of, uh, just who we are in humanity. So, um, but in saying all of that.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow!
2: And saying all of that, wow. all of that uh, I'm good, but I've done a lot of reflecting, I will tell you honestly, during this whole COVID experience of what is important.
0: Wow. wow. Um, I, my, my heart uh, continues to go out um, for you, Bishop Lewis, and, and the loss of your mom, um, because um, I know just um, how much of a strong tower that she has just Amen. consistently um, been in your life. So our prayers yeah. continue um, with you in regarding that. Um, let me let me ask you this question, um, Bishop uh, Sharma Lewis. And, and for our viewing audience, um, I didn't have many study partners when I was in seminary. And uh, Bishop Lewis uh, was one of those study partners um, with me um, in seminary. She's always been brilliant. Um, and so when you don't know, you surround yourself with folk that's smarter than you. And so that I was smart enough to do that, to find somebody a little bit smarter than me that I could hang around and um, who could keep me focused and but I I appreciate um, what I call I say that to say um, um, the next question that I want to ask you um, I ask you this under knowing um, some of the challenges that you know that we just had as black women you know growing up um, in the south so so I'd like to know um, from you What are some of the joys and pains, the rewards and struggles of being bishop as a black woman bishop in the deep south?
2: Well, the first thing I would have to remind you that my context is Virginia. (laughs) So I think right there that can speak a lot, pro or con, however you want to take it. But I'll take the first part of your question. And I took... um, the questions that you all sent me very seriously because I wanted to really, really reflect and also have some deep conversation with you ladies. First of all, the joy was in 2016 being the first black woman elected, as well as elected on the first ballot in the southeastern jurisdiction at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina. See, in the United Methodist Church, we are elected in jurisdictions, and there are five jurisdictions in the U.S., in the United Methodist Church, excuse me, in the U.S. The election was very historic in another way, because in the United Methodist Church, we have only elected eight women in the entire history of the United Methodist Church. So I am one of eight, and I'm very honored to be one of eight. The first election was in 1984 with Bishop Leontine Kelly. Sixteen years later, in 2000, we elected three Black women bishops in the United Methodist Church. And then 16 years later, we elected four women. And I was uh, number one of, of the four. So there's only eight. We have one jurisdiction, the South Central. Unfortunately, Dr. Burns, South Central is the Louisiana, Texas area, but we still have not elected a black woman from the United Methodist Church. Wow. Now of course you all know that with many blessings come what? Burdens. I ran uh, in 2012. I was I offered myself to run in 2012 and I was not successful in my election. And I was not successful because of, I hate to say it, dirty politics. On the second day of the balloting in 2012, when we came in to begin to vote, I saw that on the first day, my voting and balloting was trending up. And then on the second day, I noticed from the first ballot, I started going down. The second ballot, down. The third ballot, down. And I turned to my campaign manager, who was an African American man who I had known for a very long time in the North Georgia Conference. And I turned to him and I asked, Is this normal? How can I be going up? And then all of a sudden. And so what uh, my campaign manager said, um, Let's just keep watching and let's take another ballot. Well, by the fourth, fifth ballot, again, My numbers kept dropping. And to be elected in the United Methodist Church, you have to have 60%. So I turned to Pastor Chuck and I said, something is not right. And he shared with me that the night before, an email was sent to all the delegates questioning my integrity as well as my fit for the episcopacy. One thing that was said was that I was cohabitating or if you want to use the old term shacking with a brother. And it was also said that I had not one but three illegitimate children that I was not taking care of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, you know that these rumors were not true. There were other things that were shared about my character. So on the 22nd ballot. I stood up and I withdrew. And the only thing that I can say is the burden of dirty politics. And you would not think that in 2012 that you would have politics (laughs) in, in the church. I've had many people to ask me, do I know who put out the rumor? I do not. I've had many people to ask me, did I go back and research? I did not. Because I believe that There's a reason for everything, not so much about questioning my integrity, but how that all happened. I then had four years to reflect, and I prayed and said, God, if it is for me to be a bishop, you will give me another chance. I am not going to say to you that I was very disappointed in the church to go to use tactics to keep me out or to keep a black woman out. But then in 2016, I was elected, and I was elected on the first ballot with 71%. And I was then appointed to here, Richmond Episcopal area, which comprises the entire state of Virginia. And in this Episcopal area, I have the honor of being responsible for 1,557-plus clergy. 335,000 non laity or not-clergy, and 1,140 churches. In Virginia, I will tell you that I have experienced rewards and struggles of being a bishop, and a black bishop in the Deep South. Some of the rewards that I have had in my, I'm now in my fifth year, cultivating new relationships. For example, I am a member of Governor's Northam's leadership team that worked on COVID and was also a part of the leadership team that specifically worked with churches of color. I've partnered with the Attorney General here, Mark Heron, after the George Floyd murder to look at police reform. Of course, you know, as a bishop, you become the face of the denomination being able to cast vision for this annual conference. Our vision is to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are lifelong learners who influence others to serve. And that vision was cast as I traveled around the annual conference in my first years, listening to the clergy and the laity, and then coming back and working with a team of folks and then being able to spend that prayer time to get before God to say, God, what is the vision for this annual conference? Another thing that is a reward of being a bishop is, believe it or not, being able to inspire young women, young girls to know that just like I was elected, if they desire to be a bishop, they can as well. During my time here, I've been able to write my first book in 2020, Mm -hmm. Journey to Transformation, which was a Lenten study. A lot of the rewards, I would even tell you, being able to travel and see the world to influence not only my constituency here, but to travel and meet other people, being able to preach and teach around the world, being able to have this type of experience in talking and speaking with you as you all, as other black women (laughs) together trying to make it. Raising money for certain causes. Now, when we talk about the struggles, being very candid, I've dealt with sexism. I've dealt with racism. I've dealt with even as the bishop, as people will say. (laughs) I've dealt with people questioning and challenging my authority. Being scrutinized by everything that I say or do. Being scrutinized by following the book of discipline, which is our polity. It is not popular right now in the Methodist Church to follow the book of discipline. (laughs) being scrutinized about my views on full inclusion, being scrutinized when I spoke out about George Floyd and called this conference to a call to action because I am tired of people talking about what we're going to do instead of doing it. See, I served a cross-racial church in Atlanta, Georgia, in Marietta, to be exact. And we always talked about being intentional. Well, you can be intentional about doing nothing. And so calling this annual conference to action to really introspectively look at ourselves. Participating in a Black Lives Matter march in which I received very nasty letters of how dare you. And I'm gonna say this and being being very honest, I am an African American woman. I am the first African American Bishop here in the Virginia Annual Conference. I am not the first woman, but I am the first African American. So you can only imagine being the first African American being put to task on everything. But for me to deny an opportunity to speak out about George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, who Ahmaud Arbery from my hometown is two hours. I knew exactly where he was murdered. To not participate in a Black Lives Matter, that's totally unacceptable. Making decisions for the good of the conference being scrutinized. But... um, But, you know, like I said, with every blessing, there are burdens. But I am just glad that I have friends like you all. And I want to say y'all already my sister friends, having my tribe, having my family to be able to support me to such a time as this. Wow.
0: Oh, wow, we can be intentional <laughs> about not doing, doing nothing. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. that was heavy, That'll preach wow. right there, yeah, yeah. And 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 you're um being very intentional about being present. Um, I yeah. have um, a former associate um minister now, considered daughter in ministry, um, Dr. Shazetta Thompson Hill, and during um, the Ferguson issues um, mm-hmm. um, and the, what happened in Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. That she did a cultural project um, out of out of SMU, one of your one of your schools, mm-hmm. and she did it on on the the silence of the church mm-hmm. uh, of of our denomination and about the presence and what it means to be present. Yes. And So mm-hmm. what you just said then, because what what was found was that many felt that oh, okay that that our presence didn't mean that we needed to be present in the actual protest or standing side by side exactly. uh, with these individuals. Um, but what you're saying is that as a bishop, you realize that you no, know, your presence meant that you needed to be present
2: yes. in the midst
0: of what was was happening and occurring. Right. Wow.
2: Exactly.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, well, wow, thank you. Um, so our conversation today as we continue to move, and I know that my, my sisters also have some questions that they, they want to ask in the midst of this, is about discerning your call. Uh, let's just start right there. How do you define a call to ministry?
2: You know, Doc, the first thing that I would say that a woman, um, or as I would say, as a person is defining their call to ministry and, of course, we know this from the great Dr. Timba Mafiko, as he taught us in old and also as he taught us about Dr. Norman Hable. Hable said that the first way of defining a call or recognizing you got a call, you must know that it came from God. Yeah. Number one, uh, not being funny, but we all know that there are many people <laughs> that have called themselves. But I look at defining a call, is that a person or a woman, to be able to be used as an instrument for service or servant ministry. Mm. It's Jesus saying, I came to serve, not to be served. But I think when I define what is a call, I believe that a call is or should be transformative. Mm -hmm. Your call should be encouraging. Most importantly, your call should be about disciple making. I still believe that people need Jesus. <laughs> I still believe that Jesus is the way the only way.
0: as a bishop, you still believe I'm just I still keep
2: believe, and I probably believe more about Jesus ever now than before. Oh. I also will say that a call we must understand that a call can come in many forms. The call does not necessarily have to mean preaching and teaching ministry limited to the pulpit. Mm -hmm. We have many areas of ministry. And in our denomination, in the United Methodist Church, we have something that is called extension ministry or ABLC, appointment beyond the local church. Mm -hmm. For example, campus ministry, armed service chaplaincy, pastoral counseling, Dr. Brenda would understand that, seminary Mm -hmm. professor. So a call can come in many forms. But when someone says, I feel a call to ministry, being called, first of all, by God, because I think we got enough people who have called themselves or other people have called them, or we think we're called to ministry because mama and daddy and uncle and aunt all went to ministry. So then we think we have to go in ministry because the family tradition. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I feel that the call, number one, comes specifically from God, but being called to be an instrument mm. of servanthood, being being called to be transformative, being called to encourage. And like I said, being called in this area of disciple making, because even from the Great Commission, we are to make disciples.
1: Oh doctor, 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 doctor Bishop, just you, 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 you are uh, working me right now, uh, especially from your background as a biologist,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: and a chemist. Can you help us understand the why the science of of religion mm-hmm. is is still relevant? Yes. but today you know we we look at what advice would you give or offer to persons who are struggling with as second career ministers uh you and i both come out of that science uh stem areas and mm-hmm. and and it has been helpful for me uh in ministry and i'm i'm curious if it has been helpful to you as well
2: Well, first of all, I would tell you that my transitioning from, because I do have a biology background I have a minor in chemistry. And I think you know that uh, I wanted to be a physician. And I pursued it relentlessly. But when I finally surrendered to God, the doors opened wide. And I realized that I was a doctor, not of the soul, but being in ministry, I'm a doctor of the eternal soul. I believe that there is nothing coincidental. Life is purposeful. I know that because as we know, Jeremiah's call and Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah 29, 11. And I will tell anybody that God will use everything you have, your experiences, your learning, your education. For example, when COVID struck, March of last year. Believe it or not, even as a bishop, I approached the matter like a biologist. I was very much aware of the risk. I developed teams, for example, the in-person worship work group, the mission and ministry, and the post-COVID re-entry work group. Not only did we study COVID and study the vaccination rate, But we provided mechanism for this annual conference. For example, we wrote two handbooks. The first one was a little long, (laughs) we had to learn. But we wrote handbooks, we wrote, we had webinars, we had videos to try to help people deal with being in this COVID era. And so when I say to you that God doesn't, everything we do, God uses it. Here I am a biologist and a chemist and a bishop And I'm able to go back and look at my biology experience to figure out how to work through the areas of COVID as a bishop. A second career, folks, I would tell folks that you got to follow your heart. Yeah, I wanted to be a physician. I did everything to be a physician. I worked in a nursing home. I took the MCAT twice to try to make my scores a little bit better. But I want to say to anybody that's struggling or trying to figure out a second career that it doesn't matter your age or your education or how long it means for you to get there. You will get to where God wants you to be. As second career, you know, Dr. Brenda, that there are times, we know this, you got to take risks. you got to jump out on faith. Because what do you have to lose? Nothing. But I will tell folks that our second career that if you're not following your heart, you're not following your passion, you're not following what God is saying. I know that there are many people on this live stream will admit that they are stuck in jobs where they are miserable. But why not take the risk and kind of be like an Abraham and go to somewhere where you don't even know where you're going? Take that risk. Um, And I also believe that with God, all things are possible. Now, of course, we know in second career, the reason why some people won't take a risk or jump out on faith is because nobody likes change. And as my mama would say, nobody likes change. Nobody likes change but a wet baby. Ah. As a second career, as we're, as, you know, me struggling, it also takes bold, courageousness to say, "I'm gonna leave the familiar and go to the unfamiliar." So, you know, as a biologist and wanting to go to med school, but when I heard the voice of God clearly, "Show I'm gonna go preach my word," there was no turning back. And I can tell you that I am very happy. I wasn't happy. I was wandering, mm. But I'm very happy in the call to ministry, to touch lives, to transform lives. Mm. I'm not the Savior. I can't be the Savior. Only one Savior. But to be able to be an instrument to help folks, but also to understand that God uses everything, everything that you've gone through. Every piece of education, every class we've sat in, all of that will be used. None of that Mm -hmm. will not be used. And it's amazing how I will look back on things and realize from the science background how I even use stuff now, how I approach things, Mm -hmm. even as a bishop. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everything that we go through is purposeful. Mm -hmm. It's for a reason. Wow. Problem, so let me ask. Problems, you, yeah. yeah. Let me yeah.
0: let me ask you this. You're talking about, you know, advice you'll offer to people with second career. And mm-hmm. we asked you to kind of define the call to ministry. And you said, you know, making sure that you know it's God who's called you. Yes. What oh. advice though will you say to give to women who they're in this career that they're in? and people mm-hmm. have accepted them in this role,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? They, they're okay in that role. But but now they hear, they know it's God calling them. Yes. What advice would you offer women who are wrestling with, with the call to ministry?
2: Well, see, that's, that's good. The first thing that I would tell a woman that is wrestling with, am I called? I think, first of all, that a woman that feels that she has a call to ministry, I will tell you, I would tell her to know that she knows, that she knows, that she knows, that she knows without a shadow of a doubt that she's called. And let me tell you why. See, I strongly believe that your call comes from God, but man and woman credentials or affirm the call. And when times get tough, and even tough as a bishop. If I didn't know that I was called on February 13, 1994 at the 1145 worship service at Ben Hill United Methodist Church, Reverend Dr. Michael T. McLean was preaching. His text was Ephesians 4.11. The title of his sermon was Are You Called? That right there gets me through. Okay? A denomination only affirms the call. But you got to know that you're called by God, because I'm not going to lie. There are many days I want to say, see (laughs) y'all, okay? And they say, deuces, I'm out. But because I know I'm called, I stay in. First of all, a woman that is wrestling with the call needs to know that she is worthy and that she is valued in the kingdom. See, unfortunately, we still have churches and people that won't recognize the call of a woman. But what I find interesting, and when I'm making cabinet appointments and I say this to my cabinet, what I find very interesting and intriguing is that if you research the stats, women enrollment in seminary and Bible study, Bible school is increasing. So I tell to my cabinet, it's not gonna be if I will be led by a woman. The question is when, not if, but when. A woman who's wrestling with her call, I would say to her, not only know that you're valued and that you have worth, be yourself, don't be nobody else. Don't be a man. Don't sound like a man. Don't dress like a man. It's okay to be feminine and a woman and beautiful. It's okay to to be gifted and talented to utilize your gifts in the kingdom. And don't let anybody stop the call that's on your life. I have heard, and I know y'all have heard it, I have heard horror stories from districts and boards of ordained ministry that purposely stopped calls of women, making them feel less than, or making them jump through more hoops, or giving them more things to do. I don't understand your call. And then I would even say to the woman who was called to ministry, in your own personhood, in your own wheelhouse, in your DNA, and we know this is black women, of all the stuff that we've had to deal with. I would tell a woman that is struggling or trying to figure out about a call, is to join with other women. Find your tribe of women that can uplift you. Because first of all, all of us on this call know, it ain't easy, okay? It's not easy. And when you break in the glass ceiling, it is not easy. And the unfortunate thing is that sometimes we have more problems with other women <laughs> than even men in our churches. So in your own personhood, in your own wheelhouse, I would say to a woman, connecting, have the, have a Aaron and a an Er or Aaron and a Herhead to prop up your arms when things get a little tough. In your own personhood, no, they're going into ministry, it's going to take perseverance, passion, determination, endurance, a kick-butt attitude that I am going to break this glass ceiling. A relentless, ever-ready, uh, 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 what is it, the ever-ready bunny, you got to have that relentless. See, when people tell me no, that just encourages me to do uh, just a little bit better. You tell me no, I say, okay, God can open up a window. You tell me no, God can open up a door. You tell me no, God can open up a ceiling. So I don't take no. But I think also, as I say, having other women that have gone through it, I've been very blessed to have mentors and friends that have gone through it ahead of me. And I would even say to women that are struggling or trying to figure out their call, to make sure you make those connections. And those connections do not necessarily have to be within your own denomination. When I first started out in ministry, I sat with Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale. Cynthia is Disciples of Christ. I'm United Methodist. I was sitting in a dinner, and she was talking about having a mentor class. And I asked her, "Uh, I know I'm not disciples of Christ, but can I join? And she was like, of course. So I sat with Cynthia Hale for three years, my own aunt, United Methodist, and other women. And to be honest with you, Dr. B, Dr. Brenda, Dr. Burns, I've learned from you all. You may not even realize I've learned from you. We're at ITC together. Dr. Burns and I travel with Dr. Mofiko to the Holy Land. I'm always listening. I can learn from anybody. And I think sometimes we don't know the giftedness that we have in other women. Yeah
1: hallelujah hmm. our viewers are shouting in their places <laughs> i'm 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 shouting too Oh, ooh, ooh, this is this is good this is good that personhood knowing who you are being mentored being, mm-hmm. oh, all of that all of that is just yeah. just phenomenal we we just we just huh. All right, now we got to try and bring, you say discipleship. So how are we going to bring these folk in here?
2: How are we going oh, to bring God. some folks in? Yeah, yeah. We
1: what well, What are some of the tenets that uh you think are required to increase our church membership?
2: Okay, well, let me talk a little bit about what, what, and I don't say I, because you don't never do this by yourself. Not really. Let's talk about what we did um At Wesley Chapel, I was there for three years, 2007 to 2010. First of all, what we did at Wesley Chapel is that we had a belief that everybody needed to be in ministry. That you didn't just come into the church and sit down. We got too many people do that. We have 80% of people come into church and 20% of the people work. You'll You'll never have a productive ministry. Because we do believe in the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people normally do all, all the work. 80% sit and don't do anything. I tried to help. We tried to change that culture. That when you joined, and I was at Wesley Chapel, United Methodist Church in McDonald's, that when you joined, that after you went through the membership classes, that we tried to match your gifts and graces, your spiritual gifts, with ministry. So we had a system of bringing you in because of course you know what happens in churches. You come in and you go out the back door. So we were very intentional. And in that intentionality, we doubled in worship. I am very sensitive in a church of always pastoral care. Pastoral care will not necessarily grow a church, but the lack of pastoral care will kill a church. You gotta always know your ministry context, who's around you. We did some old fashioned evangelism, we got into the community. And when I say we, I mean we. I walk the streets with my folks. It wasn't me telling them. It was me with them. Word of mouth. Excitement from your current membership. If your members are not excited, why do you think anybody else going to come and join and be excited? And I used to always say this. If your church ceased to exist And other than your members, would anybody miss you? Think about that. If your church disappeared tomorrow, would anybody in the community miss you other than your members? We had something in the North Georgia Conference that I took advantage of, which was called the Mystery Worship. Well, we would have people to come to Wesley Chapel. We wouldn't know when they would come. And they would then do an overall assessment of the church. They would critique when they came into the church, how friendly people were in the parking lot, how they entered the church. Did we have correct signage? The attitude of the members? Did I preach a relevant word? So getting people in is really not really that hard, but keeping them there. So getting them in is one thing, but keeping them is having ministries and ministries that are relevant and ministries that you do excellence. Too much in the church, we do B work instead of doing A work.
0: Wow. That's good. We serve
2: an excellent God. We sing how excellent is our name. But then we have ministries that's just raggedy. And what I mean by that, we don't do things in excellence. We don't have good follow through. And I'm not even going to talk about how some churches, the attitude, folks, nasty. And so when we would do this overall assessment, they would critique us and send us the report. They wouldn't tell us when they were coming. And we would get this report and I would share with folks, well, parking lot ministry, they said you did well. But they said that we need to improve on our signage. So the problem is, is that in the church, whether black, white or whomever, we don't like to critique ourselves. So there are things that you can do to help your church grow. And then another thing. You gotta be relevant. The, the sermon gotta be relevant. And 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 in the Methodist church, and I'm gonna talk about us Methodists. There's nothing wrong with preaching the lectionary. But if something happens in the community or in the world, don't be so stuck that you gotta be stuck. And then I'm just gonna go and meddle. You got any Holy Ghost? <laughs> The reason why some of our churches are dying is because they're dead. There is no spirit. No spirit from the pastor. No spirit from the choir. You're singing the same old songs. The pastor preaching on faith. The choir singing on prayer. Everything goes together. It takes work. Ministry is work. If you want to do it right. And why is it that we can be excellent in everything else, but we can't be excellent in our church life? And see, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you see, the Holy, when I say Holy Ghost, that's my Pentecostal background of my aunts, because I am the 14th pastor in my family. So I know church. I see, if there's anything I can tell you, I know church. I know the Methodist church, I know the Baptist church. I know a little bit about the Catholic Church. I definitely know a lot about the Apostolic Church and the Kojic Church because I got relatives and I am the 14th pastor. How you also understand is that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is not only taught. I believe the Holy Spirit is called. Do you have a contagious atmosphere? You can't orchestrate that, but you can let it flow. And it's okay to have learning and burning. Okay. (laughs) It is okay.
0: All right, Bishop Lewis, we are actually at our time on today with you.
2: <laughs> well, we shared well, that
0: we would only take um, one one hour of your time on today and yes. um, we this is got, just
2: Savannah got me riled up. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I I said, the,
0: whole, the holy the holy spirit is not just talk. <laughs> it is call. It is not just talk, it is called I talk. have one all question right. I need to okay, ask. Okay, all right. All right. So just uh, um video artists just hang with us just for a few more moments. Just uh, a minute. With us and uh yeah. all right one more for one final question all right. yeah I, I just i just want to know
2: um we have um ame cme united methodist mm-hmm. um, amy mm-hmm. sign you know and in particularly in particular though i want to what advice would you give the cme church membership on the importance of electing black women as bishops okay that's a very good question and um you know, the first thing that I want to say, because I do want to give a shout out uh, to, your, to the CME bishop that I do know. I've, I've met Bishop Teresa Snorton, and uh, she has been a blessing. She's been a blessing to the denomination. She's been a blessing to the Pan Methodist. But I would say in challenging the CME is that it is time to add more women Episcopal leaders. There are folks right here on this call, and I'm going to call her out, Dr. Burns, who is capable, qualified, anointed, smart, and intelligent, and could be anybody Episcopal leader. Women, we must understand, we are integral parts of the denomination. So when we say things like that, this this intentionality, a woman should be represented in every level, aspect, in a denomination. So women should be seen as Episcopal leaders or district superintendents or presiding elders. No longer is we're not seen or were not heard. Women bring a uniqueness to ministry. I would challenge the CME that your women need to strategize. Pray of how to get more women elected. Bishops Norton can't do it by herself. She's getting older. We also got to believe in passing the baton. We also got to believe that there are little Sharmas and little Brenda's and little everybody, Sarita's, that's looking for the future. So we got to pave the future. Women In the AME, CME, AME Zion, to get more women Episcopal leaders elected, you've got to let your voices be heard. And we're not going to tolerate being second or third. We need to be the Episcopal leaders. We need to get around the table. The men need to see a different way of doing ministry and embrace that. Not squash it or stop it. And when a brother can embrace a sister, you're talking about the ultimate respect. And then I would even say this to the to the CME brothers, and I know several CME brothers. The CME brothers need to stand up and say, We need more Episcopal women in leadership and support and use their mouthpiece to encourage their churches, and their congregation. And then if you are a denomination that helped to raise money for an Episcopal leader, you need to do that. We do it for the brothers. So why can't we do it for the sisters? But ladies, what I want to just say to you all in this timely wisdom, um, not only to the fact y'all got me riled up, I just want to say I praise God and I bless God for what y'all are doing in this time, in this space, to allow me and other women to come and talk and share. And I really hope that whatever I said resonated uh, with your audience today. But I wanna affirm all four of you for your ministries and what you're doing and say thank you for what you're doing because it is important. And it is important not only for women, but also for Black women. Wow. Wow.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you, um, Bishop Lewis. My God, audience, I've already seen a couple who says, OK, when when, when is she coming back? When part, um, part part two. Um, but 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 wow, Bishop Lewis, thank you. Um, thank you um, for for being with us. You all she's able to see your comments. Please just put in there. Thank you um, to her where she's able to see you um, say that to her. Um, yeah, and again, thank you. Wow. All right, hang around for us if you will' um, Bishop um, okay. backstage with us just for a moment, please. Well, my sisters all right Dr. Bradford
2: Same. We'll see you same time next week and same place. timely wisdom three o'clock Central Standard Time.
0: You will not be
2: disappointed.